Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. We can't escape seeing all the people coming to the rescue these days, whether it's the doctors, nurses, and other hospital staff on the front line, or grocery clerks, postal workers, and the folks fulfilling orders at Amazon. There are so many people making an impact in this important time. I'm Patrice Sikora with Laura Gregg of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. In this Flexible Advisor podcast, Laura looks at the financial advisory community and the people helping everyone through this. Today, I'm happy to have Dr. Ari Levy join us to talk about medical considerations as you plan to open your office doors. FlexShares has worked with Ari in our advisor wellness research and on other programs where his medical insights have helped us educate financial advisors on taking good care of themselves. Ari is well-known in Chicago and nationally as an expert clinician and innovator. He also served as a member of the physician team for the Chicago Blackhawks from 2007 to 2015, including all three Stanley Cup winning seasons. Go Hawks! As a physician, Dr. Levy focuses on the intersections of neuroscience, immune physiology, and allostatic load, which means wear and tear on the body. Ari is founder and CEO of SHIFT, where he is creating an integrated solution that empowers its members to achieve real transformative health. Its research-based approach uses proven science from a wide range of disciplines, including medical care, physical fitness, nutrition, recovery, and coaching. The team at SHIFT are highly trained to help design and implement customized and sustainable health development plans, which allows its members to create long-term positive health habits in their own lives. Ari, thank you so much for joining us on the Flexible Advisor podcast. As you know, We've been conducting a number of these podcasts since the COVID outbreak, and we're trying to help advisors navigate these uncharted waters, mostly from a business standpoint. What can they do to move their business forward through this? Uh, But having you as a resource is really helpful to impart some medical information for our listeners. I, I know that when we were speaking before, you were speaking with other members of the team, you suggested that a discussion about COVID testing might be appreciated, and we jumped on that immediately. So I would love it if you could start with that. What does testing look like now? When and how often? Where we should be going? Are there tests? How it's being administered? If you could break down some of those questions, it'd be fantastic. It's a confusing landscape because you are, when we think about testing and we think about testing for the virus, there's a lot of things to begin to understand. And, and I will make sure that we have this image that we can show, which talks about where in the viral stage are we at in order to understand what test we're going to use. As it stands today, there are an, a number of ways in which we can begin to test individuals. I think the most important takeaway for the testing is to think about 
PCR, which stands for polymerase chain reaction. It's often called RT-PCR, reverse transcriptase. And in the geeky science term, that means we're studying or looking for the virus, the viral RNA, the virus itself, and we're looking to see if that's there. And there's two ways that we can do that, either a slow way or a fast way. That's the easiest way to, to think about it. And that tells you whether you have active viral infection. And it's got a high degree of accuracy and precision. We can use the word sensitivity and specificity, but suffice it to say that that is the way in which the hospitals and institutions are looking at understanding, do you have the disease? And that's the first element. That's the first question at hand, which is, do you have the disease? The next thing we begin to think about is the antibody. Do you have the disease? Are you, is your body mounting a response to it? And so we can look at that through various, what we call immunoglobulins. And in, and in English, they're sort of proteins that are attached in the body's res immune response system. And we look to see if that is in place. And that is the big clamor right now. Everybody wants to get an antibody test. Let me know if I have got the disease or had the disease and have recovered and developed immunity. However, the science is not yet clear. This is a novel disease. It's all brand new for everybody. And we have incomplete information on this. There's a couple of items that you know I want to make sure uh, I convey to everybody listening, which is you need to first test for acute disease. And then if you begin testing for immunity and understanding that notion, that that is actually more of a public health perspective. I want to pause and first ask you know, to you, does, it, does this make sense? Are you tracking with me? I think so. And from what I understand, testing for acute disease is, do I have it now? I'm having symptoms. We need to know right now whether I am infected with COVID and then to take the proper steps versus my son who came back from the University of Alabama, he and his whole fraternity were really, really sick in February, and we think it might have been COVID, less so critical right now. If he had it, he did, but still we don't change protocol. That's right. When we think about, as a clinician, when we think about this, we're thinking about first clinical, what do we know and what do we not know in order to treat? So we have had in this pandemic, lots of sick people. And so we first had to figure out, could we find and identify this efficiently and effectively? And we did that. That is with the PCR testing, the nasal swabs that folks are talking about. And that tells you whether or not you have the disease. The distinction here is the PCR testing allows us to understand what's going on with you clinically to inform the folks in the hospital to identify and ensure that people actually have the disease. When we talk about understanding immunity, again, this is more of a qualitative perspective. It helps us understand this notion of prevalence, how much disease is out there right now. And we can talk about and define exactly what prevalence means. Prevalence effectively tells you how much disease we have right now. And we have only tested, as I think the president said yesterday, 1.6% of the population. So we have these numbers, but we're unsure of really what the denominator is. And if the denominator is 5 million versus 50 million, and it's a different set of 
death rates and hospitalizations for the broader population. So understanding prevalence is extremely significant for understanding what we do in a go forward scenario. What I wanna make sure that I'm clear about is that it doesn't affect how a physician is going to treat you today. At SHIFT, one of the positions we've taken is we have not brought antibody testing alone to SHIFT because it is not the right thing to do from a clinical standpoint in and of itself. So antibody testing has a place in part of the solution to wrapping our heads around understanding the COVID virus and what it may or may confer, but there's a lot of unknowns that affect the serology testing or the antibody testing, we call it. So it's often referred to as the serology testing. The three main considerations for serology testing that we see is we are unsure of the correlates of immunity. So it really remains unclear if the antibodies that are detected by the tests are virus neutralizing meaning does it provide any protection from reinfection? We don't know that yet. Second, the length of immunity after infection. What does that mean? That means how long do I have, if I have immunity, how long do I have it for? Is it two weeks? Is it four weeks? Is it four months? Is it indefinite? And then cross-reactivity of patient antibodies. So this test, you can have other viruses that may make this test show up as positive. So what I think is really important in the conversation nationally is to say what we know and to be humble and say what we don't know. Because I think imperfect information can be significantly impactful and helpful in understanding what to do next and informing how we solve these problems. Thank you, Ari. I think so many things around this, whether it's medical or business, just you get more and more questions. A few more questions that I have for you, just on a high level, are you seeing the availability of tests in your world in the Chicago area? And what are you hearing nationally? Are there the right amount of tests to test those people that are coming with symptoms that appear to be COVID-like? That is a great question. So uh, when we think about testing, again, which ones and for what? And so in that regard, what we are seeing, it, at least in the Chicagoland area, is that we are having a much greater access of testing to be able to understand if you have symptoms, if you have the disease. That we are figuring out. The big nexus here is understanding immunity and trying to understand what's next. And there are, because of the FDA's EUA, Emergency Authorization Act, what has transpired is there have been a number of tests that initially came to market that were very poor in quality. That has led the regulatory process to be a little bit more stringent, and we need to figure out which tests are the best tests. And because we don't have enough of these tests, there have been a flood of them to the market. It is a massive effort to begin to figure out quality. And there have been some organizations at large, like Henry Schein, who have been taking on the initiatives to focus on making sure that there are quality standards to the testing that's brought to the marketplace. We're starting to see states, some states lift their stay-at-home orders, phase in a more business as usual, although it's not at all usual, versus what we had before. What should advisors be thinking about 
as they consider opening up their office doors and bringing back employees into the office? There are a laundry list of questions. To begin, what I would tell them is first, make sure you're leaning on some experts who understand the disease or are in the conversations from a medical perspective. I think there are a number of considerations. First, the medical ones. Second, the legal implications. And third, and and in no order of importance here, is are the cultural organizational ones. So if you think about an organization, we've all been forced to figure out a way to work from home if we are working. And for some folks, the idea of returning to work without proper guidance and structure and protection from a health perspective is extremely worrisome. Understanding those three buckets is, I think, really important. So you know how to, whether it's test, treat, and support, you know what the, what we'll call legal implications are and are not so that we are protecting the employee. And then the third one is understanding the potential impact that these last five or six weeks have had because we have been able to find new ways to work and do we need to have the same footprint, the same work styles? Are we going back to return to old or something new and different based on current uh, learnings from the pandemic? Right. I know there's an office restructure plan in my world where they were going to break down the walls of the cubicles and put us much closer together. That was supposed to take place in mid-March. I haven't heard an update. I, I would gather to guess that that probably won't be going forward in, in the original format. But there's a lot of things for advisors to, to think about. And what's your view on the, the six-foot distancing? If, they, if they're looking at their office space and the cubicles were close together or the desks were close together, would you suggest they need to consider spacing, spacing the desks out? I think it's going to depend on what the gating, so there's going to be a gating principle around who's coming in and is there a testing schema that is required or mandated by the employer? So if we know that everybody is coming who comes in does not, for example, have COVID because they have been tested before they came into the office that day or the day before, and they certify that they haven't had any exposure risk, then it's quite possible that you don't actually have to redesign the workspace because you would know that everybody's negative. Now, the practical application of that and the cost of that is, could be quite prohibitive we are anticipating that space design is an incredibly important issue. How you both create the space design and or divides, whether uh, we're gonna have clear plexiglass divides in those cubicle spaces, or we're gonna widen the spaces to create six or eight feet or more. When you talk about testing in terms of who's coming into the building, as you know, I work in a large building. We occupy a number of floors. Again, I haven't been back there. I would assume that there's probably going to be some temperature taking. But what about the small, smaller firms that own their own building? How should we think about testing? Do we test the employees weekly? And are, are, are we the right ones? Or do we need to rely on medical professionals? There's a great question. And I think the most 
important answer to begin with is we don't know. So I certainly have some thoughts on it. I don't want to say that my thoughts are the right ones, that they are just thoughts about understanding risk. I imagine we are going to have to test and retest with some frequency depending on the type of work and work environments that folks are in. I think we're going to see a number of folks working in a distributed work format and perspective. So working from home, working in a distance perspective, simply because testing may or may not be accessible and or available. I do also believe that the testing has to be, as we understand it today, as a clinician myself, has to be read by somebody with a level of medical knowledge or interpreted by somebody a level of medical knowledge because there's a nuance in understanding and seeing what the test results show. And so while there we are seeing a decentralization in decision making, meaning instead of this being simply national guidelines, they're being put more so on the employers. The employers do need to rely on a clinical perspective to help them today do this testing. Because right now, as it stands, based on the legislation and guidelines, the employer cannot do the tests unless they have a medical team themselves. The, the tests require moderately to high complex CLIA authorization, which in simplest terms actually means like you have to have a lab license and have to be able to know how to interpret and look at the results of these tests. Is taking temperatures enough in the beginning, do you think? Or do you still think that we need to combine that with some sort of test protocol or just allow the employees to continue to work from home until some more structure around these protocols are put in place? Temperature is not enough. It is a good screening tool. However, from a medical standpoint, it is wrought with a ton of risk and a ton of ways in which things can be confusing. Imagine you actually ran to catch the bus or actually had to run into work and then you walked through the temperature gate and your temperature was elevated, right? There's lots of issues around temperature and imagine you're feeling symptoms and you don't have a temperature. So it is part of the solution. It's a, it's a very valuable consideration. And what we've seen is, and most folks are trying to look at one element. And what I want to suggest is to zoom out and think about a total solution to help the workplace. And that's really what's required. I do think we will see some level of uh, what you might call certificates, where somebody is getting a known, they, they clear a certain number of hurdles whether it's testing, temperature, syndromic surveillance, which means what are the symptoms you're feeling today, and then they've not had any exposure risks. You know, those may be a, a sequence of things that allows you to get a green badge, if you will, or a green QR code on your phone, which then means you can go into work. I see the employer's responsibility is really beginning to think about how to make sure that they make the workplace safe. I think this is going to be a safety topic. And OSHA is most certainly going to be involved, probably in conjunction with the CDC in some regard, over the course of the next handful of months. To answer the, the second part of your question, I think employers, what I want to encourage employers to do is to 
choose to return to work with an abundance of caution. Now, I want to be specific here. We all need to work. We need this economy to run. It is extremely clear to everybody that this is not about halting the economy. And we need to consider in adversity lies opportunity. So what have we learned and what are we learning here that we can apply in a modified and improved go-forward scenario? We hear that the, the vaccination is 12 to 18 months away. What's your sense for business in the new normal? Will, will it happen before that vaccination or will we still be trying to figure out all the right protocols for the next year? On, on getting back to work? In all honesty, we need to trust our scientific community to work with a sense of urgency that they are. I, I have to tell you, I am amazed and inspired, overwhelmed as well, by the speed and collaboration that the scientific community is having today. Silos are being broken down and people are talking to try and solve these problems. It's a it's actually a remarkably empowering perspective to see and witness about how we are coming together to try and solve this problem. At the same time, hoping for and waiting for the vaccine is, in my opinion, not a great strategy as it pertains to return to work. That may take a lot of time. There is a bunch of information we do not know yet about this vaccine, in particular how quickly it mutates and where specifically it mutates because vaccines are for a very, generally speaking, are for a very specific kind. I imagine us to begin to have better treatment options over the course of the next months to years for this. I believe a vaccine may come out, but in the meantime, we have to figure out what are our distancing, protection, and screening practices to create safer environments. We're nearing the end of our time. I think we could go on for a lot longer, but I was talking to somebody today and they don't know what to do. They, they wanna open their office back up, bring the employees back in, try to get to a new sense of normal. And yet they're concerned that in the fall, you know, we've heard that there'll be a spike. They're not sure whether they want to go through all the steps to bring everybody back and then have to send them home to work remotely. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so this will probably be an incomplete answer. And as life will have it, this answer may end up being wrong a week from now. But the idea of returning to work first of all, is going to be driven by, you know, local authorities and their decisions around shelter in place. And then the second and, and most important part is, I think you have to decide what are you being the employer, what's the risk reward? And that is always about great strategy, small employer, large employer, it doesn't matter. What's the risk reward here? And where do I want to sit on that? Because you may be an employer who may be able to have a distributed slash work from home or work remotely population and only take a 5 or 10% decrease in top line revenue. And so is the risk worth it to have everybody in the office and have the possibility of exposure and respread? That may be one scenario. 
And then there are folks like ourselves at Shift who we, we can do televisits and telemedicine, which we've been doing, and we need to create different shifts, I guess pun intended, to have <laughs> our workforce work at different times so that we reduce exposure risk, we increase our cleaning processes, and we set up some separate, what we'll call best practices around washing hands, pre-screening every individual before they're coming in, asking them where they've been, who they've been around, asking for authentic understanding of risk and, and or not. It takes a lot of work and it's an imperfect system. And I think what's important is to start somewhere, begin to have a plan, ask for help and bring in other experts who have some domain expertise, just like we all do as human beings and we have our wealth advisors, right? We, we outsource that and then make the best decisions with the information at hand. There's so much to think about. And of course, I've been to your location, your office, which is incredible. And you've got a working gym there and a cafe along with diagnostics. What does it look like for you to be able to bring back your clients into enjoy the workouts and the cafe and will that be staged as well in terms of timing Um, and then I guess one other thing as we end I know you're an avid fitness buff and what are some suggestions for people that are struggling with their gyms closed and you know in Chicago the lakefront running path is closed anything you could provide there to to leave us on a high note on how to yeah you know maintain our good health and yeah. I know it's so, easy on the wine, but um, yeah, beyond that. Um, it's shift. Our fitness is closed. On-site fitness is closed. It's too much of a risk. We will not open that up until we have a degree of certainty that when exercise is happening, we are not exposing individuals to risk. It's not worth it. It's in fact antithetical to what we believe in, which is about helping support you to build and be your best version of who you are in mind, body, and spirit. And so as a clinical facility, we will only do that once we know we can minimize and mitigate the risk. So that will mean an understanding of some testing and testing in sequence and over periods of time, as well as what we call syndromic surveillance. So I imagine that part to be the last part that we open up. And it, it's hard because we have a community of folks and we love our folks and and we miss them. We miss seeing them. I think just like everybody else misses family and friends that they can't be in person with. But there will be a time where we can get that back. And in the meantime, our job is to be extremely connected to them. We want to be with you and near you, even if we can't be together. We have... A YouTube channel and some virtual training, and our team has been in touch with every single member. How to stay fit and active? There, there are two mantras that sort of come up for me. One is this idea of do what you can with what you have, with where you're at. We can all do something, whether that is air squats or walking in place or walking around our property even if we're in an apartment building, as long as we have a, a mask on of some sort, trying to keep risk down. There are also an array of free options available online, either via YouTube 
or a number of apps that are offering their services, their training services for free. So you can get some workouts through that home-based, non-weight required workouts. We are, we are telling everybody, and I think this is a really important nugget that, that I feel, which is if you're expecting massive amounts of progress from you in terms of health and fitness and all of that in a time that's incredibly high duress and high stress, that may be an inappropriate expectation. Self-compassion, self-love, and care here is really important. Doing something is better than nothing. And the second phrase I used is, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? If I'm not doing it, and if I'm not doing it now, when am I going to do it? I'm sort of the cheesy guy that has some motivational and inspirational quotes <laughs> on my computer screens and near me. And, and I'm shameless about it because you know what? Those things are just cues and they help me. Don't judge yourself and do the best you can. We, we needed that inspiration from you, Ari, and would love to have you back on the podcast as we work through this. I'm sure, you know, as you mentioned earlier, things are changing at a rapid pace. What we know today won't be what we know tomorrow. But we appreciate your insightfulness and having this come from a medical professional like yourself makes it uh, very valuable. And so we thank you for your time and stay healthy. You do the same. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, Carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.